You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience for a brand new week here at Conservative Review, powered by Blaze Media. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house Monday, June the 17th. Hope you all enjoyed your Father's Day as much as I did. Did a lot of good family time with my wife and three boys. Um, we, we even had our first family baseball game together. So, so much fun, even with the dreaded humidity here. Uh, but you know, I still did have a little bit of time to keep up with the news over the weekend, a little bit more than the last couple of weeks. And there really is a lot to, to hit the, hit the ground running. Um, you know, often things don't heat up till Tuesday. Lots going on on immigration and the courts are bread and butter the last number of months because Really, everything gets back to that. And I want, I want to get into, in addition to policy and some news and mechanics about what's going on in the border, the courts, immigration law, other court opinions if we have time, I want to get into politics a little bit. The actual politics, elections, polling. A lot of people are asking, you know, is Joe Biden really leading the president by 10 points nationwide? 10 to 15 points in a number of critical states. Where are things headed? We have said for quite some time the election is meaningless if we don't make the election outcomes meaningful by actually getting a movement together and making the play calls on the actual policies that the president has the power to implement. What's the point in even winning? But it's also circular logic because if he doesn't do what we've been suggesting the last number of months, 50 ways from here to Mars, he's not going to win the election because he's going to get all the liabilities of being in power, but then not really changing anything and things are getting much worse and he'll get blamed for it. President mentioned over the weekend, he tweeted out support for Senator Steve Daines uh, has a bill, Steve Daines from Montana, has a bill to ban uh, flag flag burning. You know, recently it was, it was Flag Day last year, last week. Maybe that's what, you know, got, got his mind focused on this issue. I don't know. And I tweeted at the president and it was picked up by a lot of people. Not to get into the whole flag burning thing, the constitutionality of it, whatever. That's not the point for now. And the point itself is that it's a distraction. But I tweeted at the president. I said, look, there is no greater flag burning than what is happening at our border and the treatment of American citizens at the hands of foreign invaders. Let's keep the focus. Flag burning is like the perfect... It's always that perfect issue that distracts. It's so frustrating. Whenever, you know, there's something that the president needs to act on, an inflection point, a budget brinkmanship, an executive power, a bully pulpit, a veto pen that he could be using, 
he'll go and pull out these quasi-cultural cultural battles. And look, I, I, God bless my understanding, but our border is burning. Our language, culture, sovereignty, security, society, as we've chronicled in detail more than anyone else the past year. The mumps outbreaks now as a result of all these illegals. And, and, and all these court opinions putting illegals before Americans that illegals could break in and now demand access to an abortion or force their baby as a citizen on America. That is burning the flag. There is no flag left. See, the importance of a, a flag is, is a piece of cloth. But the reason why the flag is so important is because it represents a country behind it, a sovereign nation. If America is not a sovereign nation, if anyone from the 7.8 billion people in the world could come no matter what, no matter the deleterious effects, and they could come in any way, and we are going to contain, when I say we, I mean this president, to continue acceding to this false notion that there's nothing we can do about that. The flag is then just nothing but but a cloth. Just like what Thomas Jefferson said, that if we're going to allow judicial supremacy, the Constitution is nothing but a but a piece of paper. The flag's nothing but a cloth. But he needs to understand the politics. With, with the obvious caveat that once the election gets into full swing, meaning once Joe Biden, let's, let's just say for a minute, would actually win the Democrat nomination, it becomes a new race because then it's not just an un- unpopular incumbent with a generic guy against him where many times the you know president was down, Obama was down, Reagan was down, Bush was down. And they wound up winning. So it is important to note that that does change. But obviously, everyone should be worried. You and I both know Joe Biden has become as radical as anyone else. But he is an old timer and he does give off that persona, whether we like it or not, of kind of a blue collar guy. You don't think of him as a cross dressing transgender, you know, whatever. He really could peel off a lot of votes. And there's there's um, already signs of him using the immigration issue. All the chaos. That Trump is now the president of illegal immigration much more than Obama is. When you're in power, you either use it or lose it. You get owned by it. You get defined by it. There was a poll out recently... Reuters Ipsos poll asking registered voters what is the most important problem facing the U.S. today? Okay, so that's a pretty important thing. Environment, crime, education, morality, energy, healthcare, terrorism, immigration, 
war, foreign conflict, unemployment, economy generally. If you take all registered voters, all registered voters together, immigration is the top issue. 20% just slightly above healthcare, which is 19%, which is really our second most focused on it, focused upon issue here at the conservative conscience. Certainly last year, Republicans have no narrative on that, but let's leave that aside for a minute. Everything else is way down. Everything else is single digits except for economy generally at 13%, which is meaningless if you phrase a question like that. Do you care about the economy generally? It's always going to pull very high. But the important thing is, obviously, if you look at Republican voters, immigration is sky high. 37% of voters listed as the top thing. Nothing's even close. But it's also narrowly the most important issue among independent voters. Now, it is true that with Democrats, it is way down in the list of priorities. But I want to share with you an article of mine today on a Democrat mayor and his comments about the border crisis. Now, we had on the show Uvalde Mayor uh, Don McLaughlin we had him on Friday. Now, this guy, I, I didn't ask him his par- party affiliation because they don't run in those counties as uh, on partisan ballots, but I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's a conservative. But anyway, he made an important point. I thought it was a very important point. It, it, it's really the point we've been making for a whole year. He said that if most people knew what was going on, you would see a big, big change in America. And that's been our point, that the president needs to mix budget battles with the veto pen, the bully pulpit, and executive powers to accentuate and highlight the issue. Aside from the fact that he has the power to end it, but just to better stop distracting with this other stuff. Because my theory is, even even without the Republican Party doing a good job of making this the biggest issue. You see, it's currently the biggest issue by far among Republicans, slightly among independents. But even among Democrats, if they would actually know what's going on, most Democrats don't want this. Most Dem- Very few people want this. Del Rio Mayor Bruno Lozano. This guy is a cross-dressing, gay, whatever, Liberal Democrat, who's mayor of Del Rio, Texas. Del Rio is the city in Valverde County, all the way up north, very far away from the area of the Rio Grande Valley where most of the illegal immigrants from Central America have been coming in since 2014. The last couple months, they've been slammed. And they're the ones who are getting the African migrants from Congo, And what was interesting is, this happened a week before, but um, Don McLaughlin uh, apprised me of this, and he sent me a Facebook video of Lozano tearing into John Cornyn's staffers 
at a town meeting with the county councilman and city council and and the county judge and um, I guess that's the executive there and the school board there. And he was talking about how, you know, you guys haven't come down here. You guys don't do anything about it. We have to pick up the tab for the transportation. When are you going to reimburse us? We don't have money for this. I called you that morning and asked you for the check to give them back to the school board for that bus usage, for that staff who had to come in and bus these people from the coalition to the center. I asked you for a check for the center itself. We do not have the funds to fund this project that has manifested and been dumped here in the city of Del Rio, Texas, Valverde County, and the entire border. We are frustrated. We're extremely frustrated. Our priorities on the city council are our our streets, our parks, our economy, the drive of the community, the places of worship, and the places to have leisure activities. It is not the priority to solve immigration. That is the representatives. It is your job to convey, and he's speaking to the staffer because he was upset that Cornyn himself didn't come down. It is your job to convey the frustration that I share with you to ensure that our representatives at the federal level are healing, are, are, are hearing it. It's falling on deaf ears and we are sick and tired of the deaf ears. It's all happening in real time. What's interesting is when you bring it down to a local level, you know, this guy could sound like me. Again, he's a cross-dressing, flamboyant, gay Democrat. This guy. It's a similar thing we saw in Broward and, and Palm Beach counties, Florida, Last month, when there was a rumor that illegals would be dumped there, they went ballistic. This is a; th- those are very Democrat counties. If the president singularly focused on this and did everything I'm telling him to do, it would permanently realign politics in America. But likewise, if he doesn't do anything, he could throw his hands up all he wants and say the district judge ate my homework. The 60-vote threshold ain't my homework. Now Democrats have the House. At the end of the day, it's DHS doing this, and he is the president. He will get blamed for it, ironically, even from de- by Democrats. That's what's so stupid. It's like all of the things I've suggested, I've given like 10, 15 ideas, but most prominently, I said, you have the power to, to just turn them back, announce an 1182F shutoff, and that's it. What's going to be the bigger blow blowback from pro-illegal immigrant groups for being mean, not letting in any more bogus asylum seekers or from Americans being dumped with them? Which side do you want to err on? Until now, we've discussed this more from a policy, ethical, philosophical, constitutional standpoint. But I'm just talking raw politics because that's all the people in the White House care about, any of these politicians. Oh, Daniel, you can't do that. Really? I mean... I'm seeing it's bigger political suicide to allow the status quo. Like I'm telling you, threatening tariffs or you know the dumping in the cities, you're going to get more blowback than you'll ever get for pushing back against a district judge or actually doing what the Supreme Court said you could do in Trump v. Hawaii and just shutting it off. And then you'll solve the problem and you'll be a big hero. And you'll have the data to show, look, I solved the problem. 
It makes no sense to me politically what he's doing. You know, there's certain things that you know, we all know are the right thing to do, but it's kind of tough politically. Here, I just don't understand their calculus of letting this go on. Some, some of my colleagues in this business who really don't care about the country or policy outcomes, they just care about elections as an end to themselves. They're so stupid and counterintuitive to their own goals. They think, oh, let's just not solve this issue and make it worse and worse and destroy this country because then we could run on the issue. <laughs> You're stupid. You might think that when you have three branches for two years and two out of three for the next two, that, oh, it's not my fault. We're impotent. But the American people are going to laugh at you. Stop saying the polls are wrong. They were wrong in 2016 against Hillary, who was a historically bad candidate, but they were right in 2018. The fundamentals since then have been true. The bottom fell out from the Republican Party. You're not going to be able to run on this issue. The way to run on the issue is to aggressively change policy, aggressively harness budget bills and say, hey, these guys are, are blocking it. But just to throw up your hands and do nothing and talk about flag burning, we have a country burning. So that's the political point just to start off the week. Actually, just before getting into the mechanics of what I think the president needs to do at the border, just one, one other thing on politics I forgot. I, I wanted to make the point that Trump is risking incurring the same political dynamic on immigration that he suffered from with health care and Obamacare in the midterm elections. By not acting decisively, you wind up getting blamed for the status quo in all directions. You get blamed for the bad liberal policies that you're continuing, but you're also getting blamed for the perception that you're haphazardly undoing it, but not really undoing it. And that's where Republicans find themselves with health care. And you certainly see that. I mean, right under immigration as the top issue for independence is indeed health care. We have the president, poll after poll, showing how he turned Texas into a swing state now. A big part of that had to do with immigration, with, with, with health care, I mean. The first day after the 2016 elections, I put out there, put out an article, could still find it, the blueprint for repealing Obamacare. And I noted that if you would go ahead and do it from day one on Inauguration Day, January 1st, January 20, 20th, um, 2017, meaning Congress would repeal it in early January because Republicans already had control of Congress. And then they could send the bill to Trump's desk the minute he walks back from the inaugural ball and done. You would have had two years to then deal with it. You would have gotten all the benefits of the people who wanted it repealed, and you would have been able to deal with it. Instead, they hemmed and hawed. Well, we kind of want to get rid of it, but it's kind of good stuff. But maybe we'll do this and that. And they just it was it was a it was horrible. So this is what's happening on immigration now. There's one article after another 
on how Trump is running concentration camps with these detention centers. Think about it. Trump is offering a more generous amnesty than anyone's ever given, right? It's not just for people here 20 years. It's for anyone coming today, tomorrow, forever. They could just walk in with a kid and DHS created its own law that just said, uh, we can't deport anyone. It's just not true. But yet they're getting hit more than ever from the far left for running concentration camps. But then they're also being hit by Democrat border mayors for saddling them with the problems. And this is my point. So by not acting decisively when you could have done done so immediately and shut this all down, you're incurring worse liabilities even from the left. You're not benefiting from, oh man, this president's offering amnesty. No. Oh, Daniel, how do we turn them back? Well, when you process them, you're being accused of running concentration camps. I was laughing. You know, last week we talked about how ICE had all this media they were doing on how they were helping transgenders and having transgender facilities and hormone therapy and you name it. A day later, BuzzFeed did an article on it, trashing them. Liars. You guys are liars. You treat these people horribly. And I was laughing at them. You can never win points on defense. You never win points being defensive and apologetic on the other person's premise. You win by starting your own premise, by opening up a new front. The best defense is a good offense. So that's the point I wanted to make with that. But what does it look like to shut shut down the border? What does it look like? Here's what decisive action looks like. You operation hold the line. You stop it at the point of entry right away. I don't mean the port of entry, but the point of entry. I've noted many times that we have the case of Sale v. Haitian Immigration Immigrant Center in 1993. It was a case of asylum where Haitians were requesting asylum. And President George H.W. Bush, and then after him, President Bill Clinton, even though he promised to reverse it, but then he continued it because he realized the policy was needed, sent out the Coast Guard to block them and, and say that they cannot land on our shores. Now, look, I've noted many times that the power to block entry is not just a physical, literal thing that, oh, I have to stop you from getting on our soil, but if you're able to get a foot on our soil, somehow you're here. No, if the president invokes 1182F and makes these people inadmissible, both the Congressional Research Service and the Second Circuit's CSA v. INS case of 2003 makes it very clear that their understanding of the sale case of the Supreme Court in 1993 is that it would apply even if you're on our soil. If you're, if you're at the cusp of entry, even though you try to get on our soil, but we make you inadmissible, you're inadmissible. People forget all asylum is, is look, you know, you come in, you violated the law. That's a 1325A violation. We could lock you up for 6, 12 months. So we have to accord you the right, the, the, the opportunity to say, no, no, I, I have a credible fear. Before we go and prosecute you. But it doesn't 
strip us of our sovereignty. If we don't want to prosecute you, we just want to enforce our sovereignty and say, look, we don't want you on our soil. If if the president makes you inadmissible, that means you are inadmissible. So it's like, oh, uh, I have uh, asylum. Well, that that that's lovely, but you're inadmissible. I'm not prosecuting you. You're just inadmissible. I'm gonna I'm gonna return you. I'm gonna push you back. Have a great life. I I don't I'm not gonna lock you up. I'm not gonna make you a criminal. And that was the CSA case in 2003. In 1998, President Clinton invoked 1182F and his inherent um, foreign affairs authority to deny entry to Sierra Leone's people from Sierra Leone. Uh, there was a military coup there and the president wasn't happy with it. And he said, look, I'm going to deny entry of any Sierra Leone national who comes here until you restore the previously democratic elected government. There was a, uh, there was a guy who came here and he actually claimed asylum. And they, he wasn't even just at the cusp of entry. I mean, this was several years later. He was in the country. And we're deporting him, and he defensively claimed asylum. No, 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 uh, asylum here. And um, the Second Circuit said, well, wait a minute. You know, when you came in, that was after 1998, when President Clinton invoked a, a ban on Sierra Leone nationals. So by definition, you're inadmissible. You are not here. It's as if you are not here. You can't be here. Well, what do you mean I am here? But you're not here. Being here doesn't mean just physically. It means in a legal sense. You can never unilaterally assert jurisdiction. So anyway, that's my position. But even for those that are going to sit and play games and say, oh, Daniel, no, no, it's not true. Somehow there is a difference between the Haitian case where it's by sea, where we're preventing you from getting on our soil versus those that are already on our soil. 80% of those who are coming in now are coming in Texas. What's the significance of Texas as opposed to Arizona or California? It's not a land desert. There is a river. It's narrow in some places, but there still is a river, the Rio Grande River, that separates Mexico from Texas. There is no reason why we cannot have boats from CBP, from the Coast Guard, from the Navy, from the National Guard, every available boat we have, and also, every federal agent could be deputized into this, whether it's DEA or FBI or TSA or whatever, park rangers, fish and wildlife, to man boats in that river and turn them back. Do not allow them to get on our soil, at least that much. From the humanitarian grounds, you're being, tr- you're, you're being bashed by the media anyway, by letting them in. So you as Maisel, if you're going to incur the liability of, oh, you're being mean to the migrants, you as Maisel actually stop it and, and protect Americans. And then as far as the migrants are concerned, you're only going to have to have this degree of intensity for a few weeks. Once it's clear we're not letting you in, that the president is enforcing 1182F shutoff and he runs ads in Central America and maybe other countries, send it to Congo and Angola too that you you are inadmissible, this this game that we've been playing over the last year, come with a kid, no, 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 that's over with. You cannot enter for the foreseeable future. By the way, John Roberts said in Trump v. Hawaii that there's no time limit. It's for such time as the president deems necessary to shut it off. He doesn't have to say it's three months, six months, eight months. I mean, he could do that politically. He might want to say, look, it's not going to be forever. Let's start off with maybe eight to 12 months. Let's see what happens. And that's it. 
That is it. Why do you, who says you have to let them in? You don't. There's a Supreme Court case on that. Salviation immigrants that are literally, people want to say, oh, no, 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 asylum, asylum. No, that was a case of asylum. So this is the decisive action the president needs to take. Hold the line. Why divert resources from enforcement in order to do humanitarian stuff when you're not able to efficiently do amnesty anyway? Divert resources from the amnesty to Operation Hold the Line at the line of scrimmage. And again, sometimes that could get cumbersome. You know, there's this ongoing debate about the Arizona rancher. So we had... um, Mr. Chilton on the show, big rancher in Arizona, and he was really accusing Border Patrol of of leaving the Arizona ranchers high and dry, ceding their territory over to Mexico because they operate at Ford operating bases, let's say in Tucson, which is 70 miles away from the border. And then they'll just respond to things going on. They don't hold the line at the border. Now, some border officials will counter that and say, like, what do you want from us to, to sit and live in sleeping bags and hold hands on horses in the cactus desert there and, you know, just live there forever. Um, Now, I would argue that, look, if you believe it's not feasible personnel-wise for the lives of border agents, that border agents do that, well, then the military needs to do that. They're living in hell zones in Afghanistan, so you may as well have them, you know, in, in that sort of condition on our own border and protect our homeland. But putting that aside, putting that debate aside, In Texas, which again is where 80% or so of these illegals are coming in, you have the river. That is very feasible. You put them on boats, constantly having shifts going up and down. But I have it on good word that over the weekend for four consecutive days, there was not a single boat on the river because they can't schedule their personnel properly. And we certainly don't have our military doing it. Do you know what a danger that is? The boats are everything. That is the line of scrimmage for 80% of illegal immigration at this point. The Rio Grande River. You secure that Rio Grande River, which is a lot easier to do, like I'm saying, than, than the mountains and deserts and everything. Could do it in boats. The boats have these cannons um, to, to, to shoot pepper spray and things like that across. And they, and they do use them sometimes. And here's the thing. They do turn back people sometimes. Make that a policy, standard policy. But instead, we're marshalling everything into humanitarian when you're, when you're getting blamed for it and you're not even doing it properly. Meaning, even if you don't care about Americans, okay, Americans don't matter. We've gotten that message loud and clear. Illegals could sue in court for every last thing, sue law enforcement, sue our government, but we can't sue them or government for not enforcing immigration laws. I get that. But even if for illegal aliens, you're getting getting blamed for leaving them stranded, putting them in inhumane conditions, 100-degree heat under the bridge... In El Paso. So you take them in and you're being treated like you're a bunch of Nazis. So you know what? If you're going to be called Nazis, then at least just deny them entry. 
you know, one of the things you would do is it's important to realize we have two special operation units in Border Patrol, Borstar and Bortac. Okay? Bortac is the tactical unit. Th- those are the guys that are... Um, I didn't realize until recently. I, I knew they were kind of like the SWAT team of Border Patrol, but I didn't realize they're trained by uh, Delta Force. Uh, my border agent friend tells me that you know, recently they had a guy um, who almost died from the training. So it's it's... You know, kind of the if if you've ever watched documentaries on, you know, special forces training, that's what it is. I mean, these guys are highly trained. They need to be used. They need to be deployed, not for humanitarian stuff. And then you have the other. um, You have Bortac is one. Then you have Bor Star, which is the search, trauma, and rescue unit. They're all being used for the Central Americans, and these people are almost as trained as Bortac. I mean, why are we using them on, on, on that nonsense? I understand if, incidentally, you have a couple cases of Central Americans in distress will we'll save their lives, but don't make that as a policy. Use Bortac and Borstar to hold the line on the river constantly. I would argue deploy Bortac to the other side of the river. Instead, Bortac is limited to doing what a regular border agent should do, and a regular border agent can't do squat. Let me explain what I mean. Late on Friday, you might have seen I tweeted this out. Um, CBP put out a press release. Mexican national led 22 illegal aliens across the Rio Grande River. Agents from the U.S. Border Patrol's Special Operations Detachment arrested a Mexican national Wednesday night after he smuggled 22 illegal aliens into the United States. Smuggling organizations remain active in our area and continue to exploit the ongoing humanitarian crisis along our borders, said Del Rio Sector Chief Patrol Agent Raul L. Ortiz. We will use all available resources to prosecute anyone caught engaging in human smuggling activity within the Del Rio Sector. On June 12th, the Del Rio Sector Border Patrol Tactical Unit, BORTAC, and BORSTAR operators, supported by elements from the National Special Operations Group out of El Paso, arrested a group of 23 illegal aliens, including the smuggler, The group consisted mostly of Honduran family units, including small children. The smuggler was arrested after he was caught ferrying the group across the river in a raft. All subjects were taken to the Eagle Pass station and processed in accordance with U.S. CBP guidelines. The smuggler has been arrested multiple times by U.S. Border Patrol and was deported in April 2008. He faces a charge of 8 U.S.C. 1324 alien smuggling, which carries maximum sentence of up to 10 years in prison. Folks, do you see what I see in this story? We're treating the guy like an invader, like a smuggler, like a criminal, as we should. This is good news. But let me ask you a question. Why is this guy being apprehended and punished and prosecuted? Shouldn't he get a gold medal? We're told these people aren't illegal immigrants. They're asylum requesters, right? They're asylees. So this guy's helping asylees. He's an amazing person. But yet, you see, we are actually applying the law to this guy because he's completing a criminal conspiracy. But let me ask you something. If these people have a right to come in and a right to ask and a right to be released, how do we prosecute this guy? The answer is, of course, these people don't have a right to come in. And the same way we could prosecute him, we could prosecute 
the contraband. If the contraband isn't illegal, then the smuggler is not illegal. Meaning the same way we could push back or prosecute smugglers, we could push back or prosecute the people coming in with them. Now, I don't really want to bring them in and prosecute them, but more hold them back. <laughs> Meaning the president could say, anyone who comes here without documentation at our land border from any country is inadmissible. We are not taking asylum requests or any other requests. You could come to a port of entry with a border pass. It's not going to shut down commerce, and that's it. And you have Bortac and Borstar hold the line. And then again, the amazing thing, something's going to happen when you start showing all you need to do is the people right in the next tranche of the pipeline to enforce our sovereignty against them. You have a massive surge of of um, operations, not for pr- catch and release and processing, but for holding the line. Look, release whatever people you need to release who are currently in the facilities. They're doing that anyway. And we're going to have to catch up with them, have a discussion about that expedited removal and deportations with ICE later on. That's water under the bridge. But you got to prepare, whether it's in a week or two or three, to draw a line in the sand at that date. Then we're going to marshal the resources. The president's going to announce two days before an 1182F shutoff. And they enforce it at the river, at the line. Remember, Texas is the easiest way to come up. That's where the most infrastructure is, the most highways. So at least if you do this on the river and don't let them land, again, a couple people here and there might be able to get in, but at least most of it you should be able to keep out. That will go a long way in solving this. And then they won't come. And if they don't come, you won't have the humanitarian problem. And if you don't have the humanitarian problem, the more resources you could then use to, again, patrol. It boggles the mind what sort of advice this president's getting. Now, last week, I was very excited. I was talking about how um, I was looking forward to working with uh, the new sheriff in town, the so-called border czar, Tom Homan. But now, you know, it's being reported that the president might have spoken too soon. I mean, this whole thing's a dumpster fire, so I got to find out what's going on with that. So that's the story there. Then there's the courts. You want to talk about flag burning. The fact that there is nothing to back up that American flag. There's no country behind it. Look no further than the courts. We don't have representative democracy in this country. We have courts that decide our future, but not even in a consistent way. It is only whatever the lowest common denominator of the most left-wing judge at any given time believes that controls us. Again, you want to talk about the burning of the American flag. That, that illegals could break into this country, expose us, our border patrol, to endless harm, facilitate cartel smuggling and enable them to get in the worst things in our country. I my border agent friend just uh, messaging me right now when I'm on the show <laughs> showing me camera views where they see on the cameras of illegals getting away and they will never see them. 
you know, it's funny how they always talk about oh, all these cameras and things they invest in. It's worthless if you don't apprehend and not apprehend to release, but apprehend to turn back. But again, we'll develop that thought throughout the week on what we need to invest in the border. But the broader point is they could come in and do anything. Then they could sue our government, sue law enforcement, sue Border Patrol if they don't like anything. They always get standing. Most of the time they win. They could steal our citizenship. They can get us sick, get our agents sick. It's a whole other thing. Whole other thing going on that, of course, they don't want to talk about. And then every time an American wants to sue our government for being saddled with this, no, we don't have standing. That's what I'm told. You know, we had the conversation with the Uvalde, Texas mayor on Friday. Why can't they get standing to sue DHS for not following the law? No, only illegals could. But anyway, I thought today was going to be a big day. You know, we're recording kind of during the morning hours with the Supreme Court coming out 10 o'clock every Monday morning now with the blockbuster cases. In the end, they didn't come out with such big cases. I want to get to the Supreme Court in a minute. But what matters more is the Ninth Circuit. Meaning, I always made fun of the fact that the last two weeks in June, we all sit with bated breath at 10 o'clock every Monday morning waiting to see what the future of the Republic will be. But the irony is that only holds true if the Supreme Court rules with the leftists. Then... That's it. So this is what happened four years ago, around this time of year, when they ruled that marriage is redefined. So it's forever redefined, no questions asked. But if they rule correctly on something, well, that doesn't necessarily change anything. Because any lower court at any point could just come and say anything they want. So many of you have messaged me this Ninth Circuit case. Basically, I mean, another one of these rulings that will make it almost impossible to to deport anyone. Huge deal. Now, it shouldn't be a huge deal because it should just be bloviating and flatulating and it should be ignored, but it won't be. And it will take years to get this before the Supreme Court. And we'll win it. But there will be irrevocable harm, and then they'll be on to 20 other ways to block deportations. And each one, in this game of catch me if you can with the lower courts, we need to get it to the Supreme Court, tamp it down until they come on to the next thing. So anyway, just so you get a sense of the burning of, of the American flag through the judiciary... There's this illegal Perez Cruz, a Mexican illegal, who was caught in a raid by ICE officers at uh, this cartridge-making company, Microsolutions Enterprises, in 2008. This is 11 years ago. Now, obviously, you understand ICE doesn't need a warrant to arrest an illegal. Right, that's enforcing our sovereignty. Deportation is not a criminal punishment. It's a consequence of our sovereignty. If we want to prosecute you and throw you in jail, 
So then there's a criminal warrant. Usually required, although we'll get to that in a minute, not even. In this case, ICE actually had a warrant because they were going after the company itself, not just the employers. They had a warrant to to grab a bunch of documents because you know sometimes it's just a matter of illegals working at a company, and sometimes it's a matter of the company itself helped engage in fraud with their documentation. So this was the latter type of case, and they actually had a warrant, a search warrant, to get these things. Now, once they were there, they rounded up about 130 illegals. And the Ninth Circuit, which, by the way, is three Democrat appointees, including one visiting district judge from Puerto Rico, go figure. So now a freaking Puerto Rico judge gets to steal our sovereignty. But they took a look at this and they said, wait a minute, you didn't just do this on the spot. We have documents showing that this was premeditated. You were planning on rounding them up. And they said that ICE agents are not permitted to carry out pre-planned mass detentions, interrogations, and arrests at a factory without individualized reasonable suspicion. <laughs> so, uh, and they conclude here. This case does not justify using the execution of a search warrant for documents to target for detention, interrogation, and arrest busloads of people who cannot otherwise be detained. The detentions we conclude violated an ICE regulation as well as the Fourth Amendment. It violated the Fourth Amendment. They create a Fourth Amendment right for anyone to be in the country, literally like any American, I don't mean for a criminal prosecution. I mean, in the context of deportations, to require a warrant beforehand. Now, you know, every day, every week, the Ninth Circuit, at breakneck speed, creates new constitutional rights for illegals. Now, let me just tell you what statute and the Constitution have to say about this. 8 U.S.C. 1357. 1357, any officer or employee of the service, meaning the INS, which is now ICE, authorized under regulations prescribed by the Attorney General, shall have the power without warrant to interrogate any alien or person believed to be an alien as to his right to be or remain in the United States, to arrest any alien who is in his presence or view is entering or attempting to enter the United States in violation of any law, a regulation made in pursuance of law regulating the admission, exclusion, expulsion, or removal of aliens. Um, he has the right to make arrests for felonies which have been committed and which are cognizable under the law regulating the admission, exclusion, expulsion of removal of aliens if he has reason to believe that the person so arrested is guilty of such a felony and if there is likelihood of the person escaping before a warrant can be obtained. He can make arrests for any offense against the United States if the offense is committed in the officer's or employee's presence or for any fel felony cognizable under the laws of the United States if the officer or employee has reasonable grounds to believe that the 
person to be arrested has committed or is committed to such a felony if the officer or employee is performing duties related to the enforcement of immigration laws at the time of the arrest. So in other words, it's actually a step further. They could even make a criminal arrest, meaning let's say they, they believe you robbed a bank and you're illegally. They don't need a warrant if they're arresting you on immigration grounds, which of course they don't need a warrant. They, they never need a warrant for. You could not write a law clearer than current law, as is many aspects of immigration law. But here's the deal. The courts are now saying the, our laws are unconstitutional. This is what I don't understand about some of my friends and colleagues, even conservative ones are like, Congress needs to act. On what? What do you want them to write? That's clearer than current law. We don't have an immigration law problem. We have a selected lower court asshole judge problem. They don't have this power and they need to be ignored. But if we're going to accede that they can violate sovereignty, that they can violate rules of standing, that they can violate 130 years of the most uninterrupted settled case law of their own judicial branch of government, as well as the plain meaning of statute, there is no law you could ever write. So if we're going to allow courts to screw with us and say, oh, let's write a new law. What law? What law do you want to write? Tell me what laws you want to write because I don't see them. I don't see where they are. And again, notice that they're going the stat, not just the statutory route, but they're going the constitutional route, meaning they're not just saying, oh, the executive branch doesn't have authority to do this. They're saying that the Constitution doesn't give you authority. So even if you have a statute, which you do already, the statute, in their view, is unconstitutional. So what, what more do you want to do? Now, of course, the Supreme Court has said long ago. I say this all the time. For those of you who aren't steeped in the law here, let's say this very carefully. Do illegal aliens have Fourth Amendment rights? That's a trick question. It depends what you're doing. In the context of immigration proceedings, no, they do not. If you want to prosecute them or punish them for something else, that's different. In Turner v. Williams, 1904 Supreme Court case, court spelled out, the court spelled out this dichotomy very clearly. There, you know, evidently we grabbed the guy and just threw him in a forced labor camp. So, of course, there the court said that the executive branch can't, quote, declare unlawful residents within the country to be an infinite, infamous crime punishable by deprivation of liberty and property without that the fact of guilt should first be established by a judicial trial, right? You got to have that. But, quote, detention or temporary confinement as part of the means necessary to give effect to the exclusion or expulsions was held valid. No limits can be put by the courts upon the power of Congress to protect by summary methods the country from the advent of aliens whose race or habits render them undesirable as citizens or to expel such if they have already found their way into our land and, unlaw and unlawfully remain therein. It is that simple. So again, they could exclude, they could deport, and they could detain as long as they need, as long as it's just meant to be temporary to affect the deportation. In other words, let's say you know you need time to get the documents, the travel documents, the plane ready. So, of course, you could detain them. See, they always say, oh, you can't detain. 
No, that's detain if you imprison them, meaning that that's a punishment. You want to throw them in jail, so then there's a trial. And you might need a warrant in some cases. But if you're just detaining in terms of immigration detention so they don't run away so you could affect your deportation, this is settled law. 1952 in um, Arisades v. Uh, Shaughnessy, 1952, court said, quote, it would be rash and irresponsible to reinterpret our fundamental law to deny or qualify the government's power of deportation. It should not be initiated by judicial decision, which can only deprive our own government of a, of a power of defense and reprisal without obtaining for American citizens abroad any reciprocal privileges or immunities. <laughs> I mean, it was an interesting point because we're we're extending all these constitutional rights to people who come here. I mean, no one's extending their rights to our citizens abroad. And again, in the foundational case in 1893, Feng Yuting, the United States the power of Congress to exclude aliens altogether from the United States or to prescribe the terms and conditions upon which they may come to this country and to have it its declared policy in that regard enforced exclusively through executive officers without judicial intervention is settled by our previous adjudications. And again, Congress in 1996 codified this in statute with expedited removal, that you have no right, not just on the entry, but even on deportation, unless you could prove you've been here for two years, to any immigration judge, which is an executive official, by the way. But we just let this go on. This is why this is the only show where you're going to get the core, the essence of, of the leverage point of what actually matters. Because all this talk about, oh, Congress needs to change the laws. What laws do they need to change? The courts are... are are nullifying the laws, not that they have the power to do so. And then again, some of you might have noticed, okay, well, even if you would agree to this egregious decision, this has been 11 years later. How is the guy still in the country? Well, this has become common. They get to sue for for 15 years and remain in the country while suing us. We we talked about earlier this year, we wrote about the case in January with this... um, El Salvadoran woman in Frederick, Maryland, suing the sheriff's deputies for doing their job. That's also about 11 years. She still remains in the country. Meanwhile, she's had three anchor babies after she's been ordered deported by an immigration judge. This is the burning of the flag. The president needs to, A, hold the line at the border, not let them in, and hold the legal line on precedent. And sovereignty. He has no choice. If you're going to accord the Ninth Circuit this degree of power, we don't have a country left. It's that simple. It's this game of, 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 of uh, catch me if you can by the lower courts. We can never, we don't have time. We don't have time for this. We'll be dead by then. I mean, even today in today's victory. So one of the good piece, a good piece of news today, is that finally the court brought up the Supreme Court, um, uh, Melissa Klein, the Klein Bakery in Oregon, which is very similar to the Jack Phillips's masterpiece cake shop in Colorado. So you know, to this day, she's been fined in Oregon one hundred thirty thousand dollars for not baking a gay wedding cake. So there was good news that the court. You know, took took a look at it and and vacated and said, look, you know, in light of masterpiece, this should apply. But 
there's a Hawaii case. There's a case of Arlene's flower shop in, in Washington state that I, I, the American business owners are still getting screwed over even after the masterpiece win. Cause that's the thing. We don't win anything at the Supreme court. We only lose. We can only lose, but if we win, they'll just have a scatter shot and screw with us on 50 other cases take forever for the court to give us relief in one or two of them, and the remainder, they won't. I mean, all these radical Ninth Circuit opinions on creating all these rights, habeas corpus rights and rights to appeal and bond hearings for illegal... It took four to five years worth of releasing criminal aliens, allowing them to have this power before the Supreme Court acted, and a lot of them they still haven't acted. Still, DACA, they refuse to take it up yet. We'll we'll see what happens Thursday when the courts meet again. Obviously, there's a lot going on. Yet some other cases, maybe we'll talk about tomorrow. Uh, Clarence Thomas and the Gamble case. This was a a dual um, sovereignty case. In other words, obviously, the Fifth Amendment says you can't try someone twice, double jeopardy for a crime, same crime. But that means... One sovereign can't do it twice, but if the feds charge you and then the state charges you or vice versa, they're different. That has been a doctrine in the Supreme Court for a while. They upheld it seven to two today. Clarence Thomas and and uh, Gorsuch were on opposite sides. Gorsuch, I believe, was joined by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Is the only two justices that say no. The Fifth Amendment should apply even to state and federal. I I agree with the majority opinion that there is no evidence to suggest that we should change that doctrine. But nonetheless, Clarence Thomas used it as a good opportunity to say, look, in this case, I think the precedent is still good, but we shouldn't do it just because it's precedent. And he launched into a very seminal landmark concurrence, kind of like he did with Universal Injunctions last year. He did this with the concept of stare decisis, a precedent. He said, why should bad Supreme Court precedent somehow be more unassailable than bad laws of the other branches of government where you could always overturn them. So there's a lot of important things there. I actually have a tweet storm where I tweeted out the relevant quotes, the important quotes from Thomas's concurrence. So there's a lot going on with the courts, but the bottom line is this. Every time that we have a burning fire, a burning flag of our country, a burning of our the essence of our sovereignty. There's always a distraction, whether it's the flag burning amendment or you know now Kyle Kushuv, the um, Parkland pro gun advocate who said he was rejected from Harvard. And God bless him, I feel bad for him, but that's just not a national policy. But all of our people are going to be all into that. Everything except for the important. Issues. The important, important issues. So um that's where we are now. But we got a lot going on. We got this supplemental border bill that the Senate Appropriations Committee is finally going to take up, but it's completely the wrong messaging, the wrong idea. I don't know what it's going to take to get the president right. I'm going to try to get to the people I know. But then again, you know, I don't even know if Homan is in yet. So um, 
Lots going on here. The bottom line is the president needs to keep focused, but we need a focused movement to keep him focused. That's our job. That's our commitment here. But I need your support. I need you guys to subscribe. Twitter, uh, not Twitter, Stitcher, or iTunes, wherever you get podcasts, you should be able to find conservative conscience. Always send me your your notes. Email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Comments, concerns, questions. Very thoughtful comments as always. I don't always have time to respond, but I usually do see them. And a lot of times I'll address them during the show. So again, let's make this a group effort. Iron sharpens iron, as it says in Proverbs. No one person could do this alone. I learned so much from you. Thank you all for your support. Till tomorrow, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.